Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Jack Cornish, who's the program manager at the Ramblers for the Don't Lose Your Way project. This is a fascinating project about crowdsourcing, about mapping, and about walking and hiking. I can't think of anything better for our audience. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Introduce yourself. Thanks very much for having me. So yeah, I'm Jack Cornish. I work at the Ramblers uh, leading the Don't Lose Your Way project. For those who don't know, the Ramblers is Britain's largest walking charity. We've got 100,000 members and, you know, but we aren't just about members. We are a charity. So we're about improving and enabling everyone to to walk across across Great Britain. Fantastic. And we need more of that. And you must have been very busy during lockdown. We have, yeah. I mean, despite the fact that obviously a lot of our groups haven't been able to walk for, for a large part of the last year, we've seen a massive increase in the number of people walking. And that includes the number of people reporting issues on paths and and but, but you know it's been amazing to see people engaging with with their local green spaces and local walks all, all the way all the way across Britain. Fantastic. So Jack, tell our audience a little bit about the Don't Lose Your Way project. And before we start, I just need to make a disclaimer for transparency that some of the work on the technical side of this project was done by Aston Technology, and I'm an advisor a board advisor at Aston Technology, but this is not an Aston Technology promotion. So now tell us about Don't Lose Your Way. Sure. So Don't Lose Your Way is about supporting volunteers to reclaim lost paths in England and Wales. We've got an amazing network of, of public rights of way across England and Wales, We've got 140,000 miles of them. And, you know, they reach into pretty much all communities. And, and what's amazing about it is that it's that hyper-local hyper network. You know, other countries have fantastic national trails, but and we've got that. But as well as that, we've got footpaths and bridleways and restricted byways that, that really spider across across the whole country. But that, that 140,000 miles, which is all legally recorded as rights of way, isn't the complete picture. We know that there are paths missing from that map, things that should be accessible by the public, um, that just aren't recorded as public rights of way. And we've got a deadline of the 1st of January 2026 to find the ones that were used historically by the public and to use historical documentary evidence like old maps and parish records and anything really to prove that the public used a particular path, make an application to a local authority and then actually get that path put back on the map and actually so it can be used and enjoyed for generations to come. Okay, Jack, for the sake of our listeners who don't come from the UK, can you just explain what a right-of-way is? Sure. So a right-of-way basically gives any member of the public, it's a path, and it gives any member of the public the ability to to walk back and forth along a particular path. So probably 90% of public rights-of-way in England and Wales are on private land. So this isn't about land ownership. It's about a right to be able to access a particular path. And broadly, they are split into three different types. There's footpaths, which pretty obvious, you know, you can walk on foot on them. There's bridleways, which you can ride a horse and cycle. And then there's restricted byways, which can be used by all of those, plus non-motorised vehicles. So the very few people that 
go around um you know driving a carriage <laughs> with a horse in in these days so um and they are everywhere in the country you know and they really vary from you know big long trails that snake across you know really open landscapes to little urban alleyways and so um but they they are all legally recorded and, and that means that the public have some confidence that they can actually access them and, and go and enjoy our natural landscapes so why is 2026 this deadline date again so that deadline was set in the year 2000 and there was a there was a really important act of parliament called the countryside and rights of way act in 2000 and for many walkers that brought some a lot of fantastic benefits it it created big areas of open access land so that is land where not only can you walk on a path but you can roam freely over mountain and heath and moor and and places like that Um, so it was a really big bonus for for walkers in this country and the ramblers fought very hard for it but at the same time there was a bit of a compromise which was the process of people being able to say to a, a local council well, there's a path that's not recorded as a right-of-way that should be. That's been going on for, for decades. But, you know, landowners, I think, understandably, were saying, well, I've just bought a piece of land, and then suddenly someone tells me there's a right-of-way, and I didn't know that before. So there was a, a deadline introduced, and it was essentially 25 years from that act, so right at the end of, uh, of 2025, that, that was introduced. Gotcha. Okay. So we've got this problem that we need to record all of these outstanding public rights of way, all of these footpaths and bridleways. How did the Don't Lose Your Way project actually address that problem? Or how is it addressing that problem? Yeah, it's very much an ongoing <laughs> an ongoing concern. But well, first of all, we really wanted to to understand what the scale of the of, of the issue was. No one had really done a systematic review of where these potential lost rights of way were. We, you know, at the Ramblers and other organisations, we have had volunteers who have been making individual applications for individual paths over the years, and that's fantastic. But we really wanted to get an England and white England and Wales wide picture. But what we did is we is working with some digital partners. We created a big crowdsourcing tool, and essentially, what we split England and Wales up into 154,000 grid squares, uh, one kilometre grid squares. And we asked volunteers, and that's any member of the public, to go to a particular grid square, maybe one they know or where they grew up or where they go on holiday or just at random. And they were shown the grid square and the current rights of way map, which is on the ordnance survey map. And they were shown two historical maps. So an ordnance survey map for about 120 years ago and a map called the Bartholomew map which is around the same time and and shows a bit more roads and and things like that. And for each of those grid squares, two different volunteers looked at each one and they did a big spot the difference. Is there a footpath shown on the old map that's not shown on the new map? Is there an old road that's shown on the old map that doesn't appear to be shown on the new map? And, And they drew all of those potential lost rights away on there. And then a third volunteer sort of brought those two data sets together and weeded out anything really, really obviously erroneous. And that's where we've ended up with, for the first time, an estimate of of the scale of the problem we've got. And and we found just over 49,000 miles of potential lost rights of way across England and Wales. That's incredible. So that's 49,000 against a previous estimated total of 140,000 I think you said 
Yeah, so the 140,000 is what's already legally recorded. Yeah. So so obviously if you were to, and, and it'd be good to come on to that we're not saying we want to claim all of these, but if you were to claim all of those, you know, it would add on a right. significant percentage to the network. And before you say how long it took, how long did you think this project was going to take? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, this was a bit of a step into the unknown for the Ramblers. We, we've done some crowdsourcing geospatial work before we we've had a project called big path watch where we asked people to to walk all of the paths to assess the state of 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 the recorded network but that was a while ago and this was a a new sort of thing so i mean i was probably estimating that it would maybe take three to six months to do all this identification but to be honest we we really didn't we didn't really know you know how long it would take and how long did it take? Go on, tell, it took, tell us now. It took six weeks. Six, <laughs> under weeks. six weeks. Yeah. And, and how we many volunteers? Managed... Go on, sorry. I no, I say we just, we, we, we managed just to, uh, we, I think it might have even been quicker, but we managed to finish, I think, three days before the national lockdown came in in the UK. So uh, maybe <laughs> if it had been during lockdown, it would have been even quicker. Wow. And how many volunteers did it take to do that? So about three and a half thousand people did at least one square. We had obviously a lot more. We had a people that did a lot more than one square. I think that the person who did the most square did, I think it was about 9,000 different squares themselves, <laughs> um, which is, you know, fantastic. And, and the other really great thing for the for the Ramblers and for the project is that, you know, as I said, we've, we've got an amazing membership and volunteer base, which is brilliant. And, and you know, I celebrate and they do amazing work. but what was really great about Don't Lose Your Way, it was also engaging new people for this work. And I think about 80% of volunteers who, who did this mapping are, are not Ramblers members. And so, you know, I think it really did inspire a, a wider proportion of the public to, to get involved to save these paths. I can put my hand up for that because I was one of those non-members who did a bit of mapping. <laughs> great. Well, thanks um, very much. <laughs> it was, it was ve- I have to say, it was very therapeutic as well. Yeah, there's something quite satisfying, I think. I mean... A lot of people love looking at old maps or new maps. You know, there's, you know, in the UK, I think looking at ordnance survey maps is is a sort of has become a sort of niche, <laughs> you know, thing to just sort of you can almost plan your journey or your adventure just yeah. by looking at the map. And so I think, yeah, it really did. It really was quite a nice way of really engaging people and and, and with real real tangible benefits as well. So talking about the volunteers, what do you know about these volunteers in terms of? their demographics, their geography, their experience? Do you have any sort of idea about who they are and why they got involved? We don't have much concrete on that, mainly because we wanted it, we wanted to really get people engaged straight into the project. And we didn't want to put loads of sort of, you know, asking them loads of extra erroneous information about themselves. So I think, you know, in, maybe in hindsight, that would have been really interesting to, 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 to collect more of. As I say, most of them weren't members. And I think anecdotally, we certainly, it certainly felt like the people that came forward, it, it certainly felt like they were a, a pretty wide, a wider demographic, maybe than, than traditional Ramblers members. You know, not say that all Ramblers members are a particular demographic, but it was definitely engaging a, a wider proportion of, of, of the public. And have you seen a growth in membership since that? We, we are seeing growth in membership, which is fantastic. And I can't just put it down to Don't Lose Your Way. I think, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> it's a, 
there's also something around that people are are really engaging with with their spaces and, and we've been able to go and walk you know it's the one thing we've been able to do during lockdown and stuff so it's fantastic that people you know have been really getting in getting into walking so now that you've identified 49,000 miles of potential rights of way and we'll stress potential because you said you're yep. not going to claim the wall what are the next steps Sure. So there's a couple of next steps. The the first one is on the mapping itself. We really do want to prioritise the ones that would bring the most benefit to the network. There are places in the country where the network doesn't make complete sense. You have paths that stop at parish boundary, <laughs> you know. So which which you know shouldn't it actually be the case. You have you know whole villages that don't have many public rights of way compared to the next door village. So we really want to focus on on the ones that, that will bring the most benefit. And at the same time, weed out ones where the path might have been legally diverted at some point, or the landscape has changed so much that a path just can't be added. I mean, a, a very <laughs> a very stark example of that is a reservoir has been built. You know, there's not much point claiming a path over, you know, down through the water. But we want to do that. And then from there, we want any volunteer who would, you know, want to help us to actually then take one of those paths and say, I'm keen to, to research this path. And that research involves essentially putting together a package of evidence, mainly historical maps, but other, other, de- other information as well, to prove that a path was used by the public in the past. And if it was used by the public in the past, it should be used now. So to some extent, the identification, I mean, it's fantastic. And I think we did it in the right way. But it's that's to some extent the easy step. It's now for any each of those individual paths. It's, you know, might be three or four months research, you know, in the evenings or weekends to for a volunteer to actually pull together the information to, uh, to, to make an application to make sure it's put back on the map. And you're going to have to build and you're going to build something on your website to enable people to pick a path and say they're going to research that and gradually accumulate the evidence. Exactly. So we're, you know, we will be doing that prioritisation and that assigning of paths, you know, in the map that we've got, we'll be developing it further. At the moment, it's anyone can go and see the map. It's a read only map, but we really want to develop it into a into a system that is going to, you know, be around at least 2026. And so we can, you know, see who's doing what we can avoid duplication. If two people doing the same path and we can actually track our progress and, and what you know, the ultimate, you know, number of paths that are getting put back on the map through this through this whole project. Fantastic. So I guess this is an obvious question. You started this project as a crowdsourcing project and you'd had some experience of crowdsourcing. And we talked before we started about other crowdsourcing communities. Are there ways that you plan to engage with other crowdsourcing communities as you move forward with this exercise? Sure. I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of fantastic crowdsourcing work going on and that, that is sort of active out there. Um, you know, probably our highest priority paths that we want to apply for are ones that are not currently in use because they are ones that, that will be directly affected by this 2026 deadline. But for instance, it would be fantastic to get data from OpenStreetMap or from Strava to actually show which paths are in use to, to help us in that, in that prioritisation. I mean, we were when when we came up with the the concept of, of doing it this way, we were inspired by lots of previous projects as well. I mean, one of the ones that was that some people might have come across was a, a project called GB nineteen hundred, and that took the OS map 
from about 120 years ago and volunteers transcribed and geolocated every single word on that map. I think it was something like 3.6 million words that were transcribed. Yeah. And we used the, the footpath and the bridleway labels from that project to, to do the crowdsourcing. So, it, you know, I think it's fantastic to see how these different crowdsourcing projects feed into each other and support each other, you know, and, and harness the sort of power of the community to, to actually make these projects work. And I have to confess once again that GB1900 was another project that I spent a good few hours contributing to. I think there is something just so, I know, so relaxing and engaging about trying to extract information from old maps. There was another project, which was, I think, the British Library Map Collection has this enormous collection of maps. And they've got scans of the maps, but they wanted to actually geo-reference the maps so that you could search for maps from a specific period in a specific area. And that meant people looking at old maps, which might be scanned from a book or anything and working out where they were and then finding three or four reference points so that you could geo-reference that. And that was like a a mapping detective story. It was great fun. So these are great projects for people. And, you know, they're the kind of project that you can do from your armchair in the evening. It's great fun. Okay, so go on. You were going, sorry. No, no, I was saying, I I just completely agreeing and saying that I think the, you know, what's, Fantastic about these projects, and I certainly think about Don't Lose Your Way, but and the other ones we've mentioned is that they are really good fun, but you're also contributing to something really tangible and to something that will, you know, bring real benefit to, to a wider community. And I think that's that's the real sweet spot with a lot of these and with a lot of these projects. Absolutely. And you know, if we're going to preserve rights of way for future generations to keep walking the English countryside, that's a fantastic community benefit. So in a project of this scale, there must have been some odd or amusing outcomes. Treat us to a couple of your (laughs) favourites. Yeah, so because we were doing a direct comparison of historic maps, you know, from the historic map from 120 years ago and today, there's there's obviously some places in the country where the landscape has changed quite significantly since then. I do remember getting a, a phone call from someone who was really excited that they'd found five lost potential rights of way in, in one area and they're really excited about getting them put back on the map. But but unfortunately, they, they all ran under the main runway at Heathrow, which is probably not the best, uh, <laughs> you know, certainly not a priority of ours to claim. I don't know if you do a tunnel for that. But um, yeah, so, so there, you know, there, there are parts of the country, especially sort of new urban areas, I suppose, or where urban areas have expanded, where you just won't be able to claim these lost rights of way anymore. There's now a whole housing estate in the way. Although one of the things I do enjoy is you can look at communities where actually the roads follow some of the old footpaths and they follow the boundary, the, the old build boundaries and things like that. So there is, whilst there is some things that will certainly just have to be crossed out at the at the off there you know there is some amazing continuity there between landscapes even though you know if you took someone from 120 years ago and put them in that same spot they might not be able to recognize it but actually the shape of our landscape does continue Mm -hmm. down over centuries if not millennia yeah yeah absolutely i remember going on a a guided walk about the northern reach of the london transport network you know as as the tube line gradually 
pushed north. And at one stage, uh, Golders Green was the place where the trains were serviced. It was the end of the line. And then it went on. And the guide was taking us around there. And he's pulling out stuff 19th century early late 19th century photographs and things and you can absolutely see 120 years later the landscape has barely changed you know what were cart tracks at that stage are now roads but it was the same thing you know so it is fascinating how the landscape survives over hundreds of years but you'd expect it to i suppose yeah but it is i suppose you know that's sort of why i think these paths are important as well that it's not just about you know there is something really important about the practical ability for people to get around our landscape and to be able to you know maybe not use a car in urban landscapes or just to you know go for a nice long walk in the countryside but also there there is that level of continuity that some of these paths are hundreds if not thousands of years old and they are our they are probably our piece of heritage in england and wales that is the oldest heritage that is still used for the same for the same purpose yeah you know so i you know i think that is something that really inspires me about putting these paths back on the map great so what other developments or mapping wise are there going on at the ramblers because you must be a pretty map orientated organization i would guess yeah, we've got, I mean, there's various bits and bobs, but, but you know, I think what we're trying to do is bring it all together into one place a bit more. But, you know, we are mapper-orientated. That rights-of-way network that I was talking about is we are a statutory consultee to any changes to that. So we log all of those potential changes to that network. So we've got that sort of that information. Also, one of the, you know, my project, the Don't Use Your Way project is England and Wales. And the reason for that is the law around rights of way is, is, is very different in Scotland. And, and actually, they can, you can walk much more freely everywhere, but you don't have that, that path network in quite the same way. But there is a project going on in Scotland called Mapping Scotland's Paths, which is, which is sort of doing something similar, but more actually where paths physically exist, actually making sure that People know where there are paths, so where they can um, they can go out and you know easily easily access and, and navigate around the countryside. Okay, and just as we're starting to draw to a close, Jack, I've mentioned to you that I always ask my guests if they've got something a pastime or something that they're passionate about that's geo related and you hinted that you had quite a project running as a personal project tell us about it yeah this has been a so i i grew up in london i've always pretty much lived in london except for except for university and for about eight or nine years now i've been attempting probably a futile attempt to, to see if I can walk every street in London. So I've been basing my definition of London is my A to Z. And I, I think I've got the biggest one. So it does extend out quite far. <laughs> yeah. So, and I've, and I've been, you know, recording that in quite a, probably quite an amateurish way. I mean, I've been colouring in my A to Z, which is very satisfying. But and I've got a, um, a, a Google map, which, uh, which I'm just sort of adding lines to. But I'd love to um, actually properly one day come up with a way of, of, of mapping it in a maybe a nicer way or a bit more integrated way or something but, but yeah it's a long project and how far into it do you think you are well that is a very good question i have to admit i have never looked up the length of streets in london there was 
someone wrote a novel once about someone who tried to walk every street in London, and they and it's basically about their slow descent into madness. So I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, uh, haven't sort of checked really. I think I'm. The the one indication I do have is that I think there's about three and a half thousand grid squares on my A A to Z. And I've I've definitely visited. I've walked in, I think, about 60 percent of them now. So um, that's not to say I've walked every street in them. Okay, you're getting there. So I think we can put a call out to some of the geo geeks who are going to be listening to this podcast to make contact with Jack afterwards to see if they can come up with a good way of mapping and representing this momentous exercise. I think uh, someone's bound to have an idea. So Jack, if somebody wants to get in touch with you either to talk about volunteering in the next stage of Don't Lose Your Way or get in touch with you to talk about mapping your walking all of the London streets, how should they go about doing that? Sure. So the probably the best way is is through the Ramblers. So if you go to the the best email address is dlyw. So that's don't lose your way at ramblers.org.uk. I'd also really encourage people to to go and look at the map of potential lost rights of way we found. And and it takes two minutes to sign up for an account. You don't have to be a member or anything like that. And people can go and look at the map and also sign up for updates as well. And that's at don't lose your way. Ramblers.org.uk. And, you know, it would be fantastic if, if people out there were able to, you know, particularly to support with, you know, getting these paths back on the map. Because, as I said, the identification is is to some extent, the, you know, it's the first step and there's a there's a lot more to do. So um, anyone that can help would be, would be much appreciated. And if they want to contact you about your London walking, you're on Twitter at... Uh, Cornish underscore Jack. Yeah, that's probably the best place for that. Yeah, oh, or my... Okay. I've got a website as well, which is jackfcornish.com, and there's my map of uh, of the streets I've done on there as well. If anyone wants to have a look, okay. Um, we'll put all of those links into the show notes so that people, if they didn't hear them, can get hold of them. Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on finding 49,000 potential lost rights of way. I look forward to seeing how the project progresses as you actually start making the applications and maybe in a year or two's time we'll get you back on the show to tell us what kind of progress you've made thanks very much indeed take care bye thank you bye thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMR podcast hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.